As you know, there's a great humanitarian crisis along the southern border of the country between Mexico and the U.S. People from all over South Central America and Mexico often try to get into the United States illegally. They travel through Mexico often from uh, places, sometimes Haiti, sometimes Central and South America. People in, uh, in terrible, terrible poverty, under terrible stress now, traveling through Mexico to come to America. And the, and the criminals in the Mexican drug cartel know they're coming through. And so they take advantage of them because they're weak. And they charge them like they're uh, tool guys. We'll get you there safely if you give us much money, they say. And they $15,000 a person sometimes. And they promise safe traffic, tra travel to the United States. But they, they don't care at all about them. And they take advantage of them. Sometimes on the journey, they're terribly abused. Sometimes they're injured. Sometimes they're starved. Sometimes they're raped. Sometimes they're dropped over, even children or young people, dropped over the wall into the United States. Or, or they're in peril drowning, trying to swim across the Rio Grande. But the cartel... Uh, offers these guides and these guides that that often guide people to their death are known as coyotes today we're on a obviously you can see from the reading of the word it's not a happy text of the bible it's a description of spirits of guides that care about the people that they now again last week sometimes if preachers or Christian writers or Christian leaders or people that claim Christian leaders, they preach only from the happy text of the Bible. Whole churches are built around this idea of just giving the happy text of the Bible, the feel-good text of the Bible, the therapeutic texts of the Bible, just cherry-picking the parts that make people feel good. However, there are other people, there aren't as many, but there are others, and they never pick the happy text of the Bible. They gravitate to the hellfire and damnation text of the Bible. Both of these would be false teachers. A wrong emphasis of the Bible is a mishandling of the Bible. These would be false teachers. Those who are all mercy and no judgment. There are those who are all judgment and no mercy. Both of them are wrong. To take away from the Bible is wrong. To add to the Bible is wrong. To give the Bible a wrong emphasis. All these are twist and distort and pervert the Bible. And when you do these things, you hurt people. You hurt people badly. Those who are all heaven and no hell those who are all hell and no... Remember my advice last week? Three letters. Run. That was my advice. Run. And that's really what the text is, is saying. It's, I'll tell you from the top, and that is it's, it's helping us see what false teachers look like so that we, so that we run. Important. Because we have a... To make them. People deal differently with the glut of spiritual information that's all out there. They, peel, they, they deal in different ways. So many, maybe, maybe most, are without discernment at all. They're gullible. They're naive. They believe whatever they're taught. They, they don't realize their lives or maybe even their souls depend on who they follow and what they believe. And they don't think about the importance of their influence on those who are going to follow them. Some are eager You've met them, maybe you are them, eager to fuss all the time, always looking for a Donnybrook, kind of like spiritual Gestapo. Um, a lot of these people have internet access, and they're constantly, you know, they're, they're kind of like discernment warriors. They're against 
everything and they hate everybody. There's that. There's, so there's those without discernment and there are those whose discernment is, is really false because they're just too eager to condemn. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Timothy about pastors that are that way. An overseer must be above reproach. Husband of one wife, sober-minded, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. And here, not quarrelsome and not a lover of money. These are one of the two places in the New Testament, 1 Timothy, Titus, that lists the qualifications of an elder. To be qualified to be an elder, you have to be able to teach, but you also have to be not quarrelsome. And this is important. So you have people that are without discernment. They're not able to teach or know what's true or warn people about what's bad. And then you have people who all they do is they put other people down, and that's that's not the spirit of Christ. People are in bondage to their weakness. They found that there are things where there's a moral weakness or there's a character weakness, and so they build their theology out around that. Or they look for teachers that justify that. Some are just willful and they want to indulge in their sinful appetites. And so they look for teachers who will endorse their sinful desires. Or they'll just go to places where they kind of feel good because they've been to a religious service, but no one really ever confronts their sin. These are just different ways that we err, that we get dropped over the wall or we're in peril of drowning, if you will, on our journey. Some just willfully indulge their, indulge their sinful desires. And some are afraid to stand up against the popular tide against them. Maybe when we're young, probably, that, probably never outgrow that, but maybe when we're young, that's especially hard. You have this peer pressure on you. And maybe we all have it. The pressure of our culture, others, things that we believe and have always believed now have become really very unpopular. And so there's a tendency just because we don't want to really stand out or, or be rejected, or maybe there's a financial pressure there. Some are afraid to stand up to what's popular around them. And some are just confused. They're just gullible. They're just naive. They're just easily influenced. And I said all these things to say, what, I, what we're talking about here is important. Important for you that you have good guides on your spiritual journey. But it's really important for the people that you influence or could win the ones who I often think have your same last name and you care so deeply about them you literally would lay down your life for them you are going to give them spiritual direction I know some of you are discouraged about that and you say I'm looking behind me and they're not following no they're not following but they're looking they're seeing your example and so this is what we want to think about here as we look at this really kind of tough passage of the Bible Everybody has to make decisions, and to make good decisions, you have to have decisiveness and discernment. To make good decisions, you have decisiveness and discernment. Think about this. You're going to choose who your God is. You can't choose who God is. You choose who your God is. You're going to choose where you're going. You're going to choose how you're getting there. You're going to choose who you're going with. But all this is going to be depending on your choosing who you're going to follow. Who are you going to be influenced by? Who are you going to admire? Who are you going to read? Who are you going to believe? This is what this text is all about. This is what this chapter is all about. Don't follow spiritual coyotes. And the message of this text is unmistakably clear. Reject false teachers. When I was a kid, 
Uh, I got a car. My dad let me get it from him. And, and I decided as soon as that car belonged to me, I wanted to put a sound system in it. A sound system for a poor kid like me that made about $40 a week was going to be modest. It was a used eight-track tape player. If you could find one of those right now, you could probably make money on that. A used eight-track tape player. You know, I couldn't afford a lot of music. I had just a handful of eight-track tapes. They were huge. Remember how big they were? I mean, you couldn't carry many of those. I had an eight-track tape player that hung under the dash. I screwed it to the metallic dash. Remember that back in the day? Screwed it to the dash underneath. And I ran some wires under my seat, and I had one speaker, one big speaker I put it under my seat. And I cranked that thing. It wasn't actually too bad. I cranked that thing up. It took me hours and hours. I wasn't really very good at it. It took me hours and hours. And, I, and I'm not telling you. I guess I, for money, if you gave me money, I might tell you what those eight-track tapes were. They were Christian because, well, you know, I was an exemplary young man. Uh, the truth is, sometimes I buy music that I shouldn't have, and I'd listen to it for a while, then I would convict it, and I would throw it away. And then I would buy <laughs> then I would buy it again. Did you do this? Now I just play it on Spotify when I want to. Anyway, there were only a few things to choose from. Teachers, leaders, you only had a few to choose from. Isn't it amazing, those of you that are older like me, the amazing, amazing glut of information at our fingertips, right on a phone in our, you literally can go around the world, you can research anything, you can listen to anything, any teacher. And so the good news is, even in COVID, the gospel has just shot up the world on elect, with electric people. Can, you can watch preachers literally all over the world, good preachers, good teachers. You can study a seminary classes right right now don't don't wait till after church but you can study them on your phone right now really high quality teaching but you you could also find hundreds and hundreds of sites with really damning error things that if you believe them if you follow them they will hurt you and they will hurt people that you love and so now of all times we need to be not that you know religious gestapo type that just hates everybody and everything but isn't it more important now to have discernment with all these options than it even was before? Is hell any less hot? Is air any less damning than it was? No, it's, it's not popular to speak about spiritual discernment, but it's necessary. And so this is why we have this text, and we broke it into two parts so that I could afflict with it two weeks in a row. Uh, and because it's just so dense, Peter went on a rant here. That's a poetic rant. I don't, I don't know the languages, but I can read people who know the original languages, and they say in the original languages of the Bible, there are all kinds of sophisticated word plays in this that, were, that are lost in English translation. So he was ranting, he was ranting in a really poetic way, reaching back into his language to, to use the most sophisticated, resting warning he could, because this was important. And Bethel Church, this is important. I, I love this church. I'm so glad to be here. I love this church. Lois and I love this church. We're so grateful at this point in our life to be a part of this church, to, be, to work among you. And I often think about what kind of church do we want it to continue to be? It's been a church that taught the Bible. 
It's been a faithful church to teach the Bible and to be faithful to God's word and faithful to God. But it's not been an ugly, narrow, censorious church. It's been a kind and loving and, and tenderhearted to sinners church. It's been a church that is conscious that we too are broken sinners. And I desire so much for this to continue. This cannot continue, however. If we follow the trend of the day, only kind of to preach therapeutic happy messages, and we don't carefully learn to discern and to set aside things that are dangerous or damning. So let's look at these verses. It's actually 10b, if you will, through 22. Let's look at these things. And I want to show you six things about false teachers. Now, these aren't true about all false teachers at all time. They were true about the false teachers that Peter was taking aim at there. So it's not an exhaustive, exhaustive list. You can expect other creative things. False teachers may not do some of these things that, that, that trouble you. They may do all these things. There are only a few of them. False teachers can sometimes take away from the Bible. They can sometimes add to the Bible. Sometimes the false teachers can say exactly what the Bible says with precision. And yet their life doesn't match what they say. They're also false teachers. So it's really tricky. First, these false teachers were rebels against God. And all false teachers are rebels against God. The verse, chapter 2, of course, 2 Peter 2, 10. The, and, and here's where the paragraph begins. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blast the glorious ones. So we're talking about here, and this is a parallel with Jude, the same in Jude, is that these are false teachers have no regard for the spiritual authority structures in the world. In, in Jude, it says, even the archangel Michael calls upon God to rebuke the devil. He doesn't rebuke the devil himself. So what we have, in a, a really, really common thing in our time is the rejection of the supernatural. We live in a materialist teaching age, the rejection of the supernatural, the mocking and the rejection of the supernatural. And here, here you have false teachers who have no regard for spiritual hierarchies, Spiritual authorities, that's what it's saying. They despise authority, bold and willful, don't tremble, blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. So these false teachers are rebels, and all false teachers are rebels at heart because they have their own truth, they have their own idea. They don't yield to God and to his truth. So all, all false teachers would be characterized heart because true teachers are under the word we are under the word somebody comes to me and they say this is what the word says i yield to that i have an opinion beyond that or above that second they're usually sensual often sensual like animals look at verses 12 and through 14 but these like irrational animals creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel, or kind of like party in the daytime, the blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. So they're, they're joining the love feast after communion. They're, they're among the believers. Uh, they're supposed to be pure and spotless, but they're, they're defiled. And, they're, and their sensuality, notice it says, of forsaking the right way, they've gone astray. Um, I'm sorry, verse 14. They've eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin, entice unsteady souls, hearts trained in greed, accursed children. It's, uh, there's uh, false teachers often participate in immorality. And, false, and, and if someone is 
they are a false teacher. So you think about that. You hang a banner on your church, you say, if you practice an immoral thing, you're welcome here, you're a false teacher. Clearly, you have a sign out saying, I'm a false teacher. I've lost my candlestick. Remember, Jesus says he gives a church a candlestick, a right to operate a franchise, and Jesus can take that candlestick back. When you say, I'm above the Bible, you lose your candlestick. You lose the Spirit of God. doesn't work in blessing there anymore, of course. The Spirit of God can work in hell. The Spirit of God can work in a bar. The Spirit of God can work in a false church, but not an endorsement of that church, you understand. And so these are sensual. They enjoy evil. And, and let's not make this um, confusing. In what way do they act like animals? You think about like the, what is it they say about the dog? And sorry if you love your dog. Like I offended all the deer hunters last week. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. Now all the dog lovers, uh, this right. But, but it, you know, to, they say to a dog, all the world is in the dish before him. What does a dog do? He eats, he sleeps, he populates the dog world, just basic stuff. And there are people like that. They don't have deep thoughts. They don't have high thoughts. They don't have spiritual thoughts. They're just eating, sleeping, sleeping with people. That's what their life is all about. What can I, how can I pleasure myself? How can I please myself? This is ungodly. Teachers like that. These false teachers are rebels. They're sensual. They're often greedy. It says this repeatedly here. It did in the section before, but also look at the second part of verse 14. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children. Often churches that are faithful and Christian ministries, I've read a lot about how Christian ministries get founded and churches get started. Almost always, they're started sacrificially. People are willing to, to just because they believe in what they're doing, they're not there for the money. They wouldn't do it if it was for the money. Then after a while, it becomes institutionalized, and then it's tempting to do it for the money. And this is a danger. So false teachers are always rebels. False teachers are sometimes and usually sensual. False teachers are often greedy. Look at verse 15. Forsaking the right way, they've gone astray, followed the way of Balaam, son of Baor, loved gain from wrongdoing. It's interesting because... In last week's text, we figured out how God felt about Lot, found that he was a righteous guy, which we wouldn't have known just reading the Old Testament because it's checkered past. In this week's text, we find out what the sin of Balaam was. We weren't sure. He was greedy. They, they were able to pay him to do wrong. That's what they're saying here. It's rebuked, uh, verse 16, but was rebuked for his own transgression by who rebuked Balaam? Anybody remember? A donkey, that's just good, clean fun in the Bible. Like, you have the angel of the Lord you don't listen to. The donkey crushes your leg, you, then your donkey talks to you. It's Balaam's donkey. And it's interesting. God, can I say this? If you're off track, God will warn you. And you should pay attention to that. He might send your loved ones, your, your older people in your life, your Sunday school teacher, your pastor, your dad, your mom, a Christian friend. You'll get warnings. You will override warnings because he's that faithful. So listen, I'm, I'm warning you right now. Pick good spiritual guides. Pick good spiritual teachers whose life matches what they teach, whose teaching matches what the Bible says. 
because these others are rebels, they're sensual, they're greedy, they're deceptive and defrauding. Look at verses 17 and 18. These are waterless springs, waterless springs misdriven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice sensual passions of, of the flesh. Those who are barely escaping, those who live in error, they promise freedom and themselves their, their slaves. We'll get to that. But, but what it's saying is they're, they're, they're always deceptive and usually defrauding. They usually promise what they can't deliver, and they're, uh, they're deceptive. I, I bought a car. I, I, I knew I was going to pay the sticker price for the car, so I worked really hard getting a bargain on my trade-in. I think I did really well. I was sort of proud of myself. I knew what I wanted for my trade-in. They weren't going to give it to me. I got what I, 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 I countered. I got what I wanted for my trade-in. I paid the sticker price, which I knew I was going to have to pay for my car. And so I was sort of smiling inside thinking, I won that thing. I, I did, you know, then I went into the finance office. They said, in the finance office, they said, oh, there's a... Uh, uh, any car salesman? I want to know who the enemy is here before I go any farther. Yeah. Uh, they, they, go, they go, oh, and by the way, that, they, we added this, and we do that with all of our cars, and we added this, we do that with all of our cars, and it, that made it sound like we threw this in and we threw that in. You know, like their benefits at this dealership, we threw this in and they threw that in. This was 19 and that was 950. All of a sudden, that number looked bad. I'm like, What? And I'm in, the, I'm in the room with the girl going, I don't know. She's like, I don't know. And, you know, and there were a few other things like that, too. It, it's just a little, it's a little oily. It's a little sneaky. It's a little deceptive. It's tricky. False teachers are that way. They're not going to just openly tell you things. That, they're going to promise things that they don't do. So, again, false teachers, according to our text, are rebels. They're usually sensual. They're often greedy. They're deceptive, defrauding. In the ancient world, in this part of the ancient world, it was an arid climate in many places, not in all, many places, an arid climate. And so you would real eagerly look for a cloud that had water in it. You would really eagerly look for a well that had water in it. And false teachers are like wells that when you get there, they promise something and there's no water there. They're like a cloud that comes and you're all full of hope, but it never opens up and rains on you. Understand this. Jesus will tell you what you want to hear. They will endorse what you will not So that's what the warning is about. And then they're going to promise freedom. This always happens. They're going to promise freedom. Don't let anybody tell you what to do, but they're going to produce bondage. You can drink this. You can sleep with that. You can do this. You can go there. That's going to be fine. Do what you want to do. Let anybody tell you what to do. All of a sudden, what happens to all those people? They are just like their leaders. They end up living in bondage like slaves. The only way to be truly free is to fully and completely yield to the lordship of Jesus and to his word. And to just say, I will do what you want me to do. I will go where you want me to go. I will say what you want me to say. You are my king. You are my Lord. You're my great... So that's, why we, that's why we love singing those songs about our sovereign king. Yeah, you know, you think about how odd it is for people to sing, I just want him to rule for me. Sing real happy. I, I can imagine a person that doesn't know the Bible thinking, you want somebody to rule over you? Are you kidding me? If somebody comes along and they promise you freedom without yielding 
had to lie to you, and they are slaves, and you are going to be a slave. So there's that, right? It's right there. Let's read it again. They promised, this is verse 19, they promised freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Can, can you just say amen, like from your own experience? Amen. Uh, yeah, that's true. I have trouble passing brisket places. Car just goes into that. What happens? Well, I do know why that happens. <laughs> anyway, moving right along. And then um, notice verse 20 and through 22. You have what I, I believe is just a description of an apostate. Remember what, how we defined an apostate? So a backslider is a person who is a believer, but they're not living like a believer. And you have examples of these in the Bible. They're a believer, but they're not living like a believer. And God is going to come after that backslider. But they're a believer. Peter was a backslider. We're all maybe backsliders at some point in our life. But the apostate is a person that looked like a believer, but we find out in the end they never were a believer. And this is what you have here. These false teachers are apostate. They look like believers. We know, some, some people say, well, they were saved and now they're not saved. Some people say, well, they were never saved. Rather than arguing about that, I think you know what I believe the Bible teaches about that because of the nature of salvation itself. Let's just take what, at face value what the scriptures are saying right here. There are people that are going to eat with us like Christians. They're going to look like Christians. They're going to be accepted as Christians, but they're not Christians. Okay, so I can broaden that a little bit. What about you? What if you think you're a Christian and you aren't a Christian? I mean, it's something you should think about. What if, you, what if everybody who knows you thinks you're a Christian, but you're not a Christian? What if in the end you find out you were not really saved? This is something, it would be better to think about this now then later, one should examine oneself to see if he or she is in the faith. See that? Now let's read about this apostate teacher. Verse 20, if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they're again entangled in them and overcome, the last day has become worse for them than the first. It'd be better if they didn't know. Verse four, uh, 21, it'd be better for them Never to have known the way of righteousness, then for knowing it to turn back, then after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. And then it uses a couple vivid pictures that are, that are kind of nauseating. What the true proverb says has happened to them, the dog returns to its own vomit. Yes, your little Muffy does that. Dogs eat their own vomit. Does that make you sick? Do you want me to go into some detail? I could go into some detail, make you sick. There, yes, <laughs> Carter, you want me to go into that? Yeah. They do that. It, it should make you sick. Shouldn't it make you sick when somebody who you thought was a Christian turns back to the world and then they die and go to hell? And yet we baptized them. And yet they were with us when we had communion. They went to our chili dinners. And yet they drift from the Lord and they're lost. That's like a dog returned to his vomit, like a sow returned to its wallow. You can clean them up, but if they're not changed inside out, they're going to go back to the mud. You are going to go back to your vomit. You are going to go back to the mud if you, if your profession is false. So just what should you do? You should talk to the Lord about that and let the Holy Spirit confirm that you know the Lord. Confess any sin. Be right with the Lord. You don't want to go down this path. You don't want to follow these spiritual coyotes. You don't want that to be true about you. Now, let's be candid. This chapter is pretty dark. 
isn't it? It's, like, it's kind of heavy, and there's little brightness in it. But remember, the absolute king of interpretive principles is what? Anybody know? The king of interpretive principles is context. And in the context, we have some we have some we have a ray of light because what was it that set up this terrible vert chapter? It fo chapter two ch follows. It's not hard. It's a softball question. Chapter two follows. Chapter one, and one even though the pastor separated it by weeks, one shouldn't read chapter two without thinking about chapter one. Say amen. Let's read chapter two in the light of chapter one. Let's compare chapter two with chapter one. Are you ready? I'll do this fast so that I don't burn your brisket. All right, are you ready? This, these are seven comparisons. I kind of like this. Seven, by the way, happy springtime at 11.33, the sun crossed the equator and give it up for spring in Michigan. Amen? Yes. It's spring in Wisconsin, too. Kira, going. Springtime up here in the northern hemisphere. And this is, chapter one is like springtime bursting on our soul. Chapter one is like daffodils coming up out of the frozen ground. Chapter one is like birdsong early on a spring morning. Chapter one is like the grass is finally green and the ice on a lake melted. Chapter one is like, this doesn't have to be this way. This doesn't have to be this way. This doesn't have to be this way. Number one, if you follow the wrong guides, you build your life on false promises. Listen to 2 Peter 2, 3. And in their greed, they exploit you with false words. They won't take your Bible away from you. That, that Bible your, your grandma read you, that Bible your mom taught you, they won't take it away from you. They'll ruin you that way. False words, but it doesn't have to be that way. Listen, 2 Peter 1, 16 says, We didn't follow cleverly advised myths. We made known to you the power and coming our Lord Jesus Christ, because we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We have the sure and certain word of God. We don't have to listen to the lies of the false teacher. Number two, if you follow the wrong guys, you reject the master himself. Jesus says so there in chapter two and verse one, false prophets also arise among the people, just as there were false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, denying the master. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can live in sweet harmony with the God of the universe. Uh, 2 Peter 1, 1, chapter 1, back to 1. Simon Peter, a servant apostle of Jesus, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, an apostle, by the righteousness of God, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You want to know that you're saved. Don't go before God pleading your own righteousness. You will be damned. Go before God pleading the righteousness of his son. Affectionately lean on the righteousness of Jesus. That's the heart of it. That's the springtime. And that you can live in sweet harmony. If you follow the wrong guide, three, you live in, and these are on, online if you want to look at them later. If you follow the wrong guide, you'll live in the same moral bondage they live in. A defraud and disappointment. You, you won't have a happy life. You won't have a happy journey. They promise freedom. They themselves are slaves of corruption. But it doesn't have to be that way. Back to chapter 1. 
you can escape the rottenness of caving into your immoral desires, by which he has granted to us very precious and very great promises so that through them you can be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world. You say, you, people all over the place today are saying, I, I've been, I'm born this way, I can't escape it. Bible says, yes, Amen? This freedom, the only place you can go to hear somebody say you can be free from that is a faithful Bible-preaching church that believes in the miraculous work of God in the lives of people. And those places are getting fewer and farther between and smaller. And so this is a calling for us. To say in, in Jackson, there are places where people still believe and teach the Bible is true, and you can be free from your sin. And you have to live in, the, you have to be overcome by corruption. Doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. And so then, number four, if you follow the wrong guides, you have the same questionable character they have. Follow the wrong guides, you have the same questionable character. Arrogance, greed, adultery, despising authority, indulging in lust, defiling passions, bold and willful, they don't tremble. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can grow in faith and virtue and kindness. Where am I going to go? Where am I going to go? First Peter chapter 1. Yes, that's what I'm doing here. I'm comparing the bad, the sad, the, the, the sad text with the happy text before it. This is a list of what you, when you follow the wrong guides, the, the spiritual coyote but this is a list of virtues that can grow in your life that apex is in brotherly kindness and in love. You can be, don't you? I mean, who would want, in their right mind, wouldn't want their life to be characterized by brotherly kindness and love and self-control? These beautiful virtues, faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Doesn't have to be that way. Number five, you, you follow the wrong guides. You're driven by your darker appeals to lustful desires, speaking, this is chapter 2, verse 18, folly, enticing sensual passions of the flesh like those who are barely escaping, they, they live in her. But it doesn't have to be that way. Chapter 1, verse 19, we have the prophetic word fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as the light shining in a dark place, as the light shining in a dark place. This world is a dark, morally dark place. America is a morally dark place. And a light shines in that dark place. And when it rises in our hearts, when the day star rises in our hearts then, we can be driven by the truth of God. It doesn't have to be that way. And number six, there's, there's only two more. Um, if you follow the wrong guides, you'll forfeit the good influence and the fruit of your life. This is important. Think about it. What, what does it say? Chapter 2, verse 17. These are waterless springs and mists that are driven by, the, by, uh, by a storm. For them, the gloom of outer darkness has been reserved. You have a reservation with gloom, with darkness. Your, your life isn't going to, it's not a happy outcome. If you follow the wrong guides, you don't have a happy end. You don't have a fruitful life. You don't have a productive life spiritually. But it doesn't have to be that way. Where are we going to go? Chapter 1, verse 8 for if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a promise from the Bible that you can live a fruitful and productive life. You have a promise from God through following true teachers, 
writers, speakers, elders, leaders, parents that are faithful, by following them, you can have a fruitful life. That's wonderful. Number seven, if you follow the wrong guides, you follow the wrong God. You follow the wrong guides, you end up in hell with them. Condemnation is coming. False prophets arose among the people. Chapter 2, verse 3, as there are false teachers among you who secretly bring in destructive Pharisees, even denying the master who bought them, and they bring upon themselves swift, sudden, certain destruction. But it doesn't have... And by the way, Matthew, Jesus said it himself, even people that were false prophets that were, that were serving and doing things, he said, depart from me, I never knew you. You're workers of iniquity. But it doesn't have to be that way. Where are we going to go? Chapter 1, 1 Peter 1, 11, For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, if you forget everything else I say, can you remember this? The Bible promised you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible promises that those who throw themselves on the mercy of Jesus, follow the right guides, will have an entrance you can know that you are right with God. You can know that you are going to heaven. It enters into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But you have to choose the right God. You have to choose the right destination. You have to choose the right way to go. You have to choose the right companions. And that starts with choosing the right guide. My parents are getting old. I think about that a lot. You just don't know how long they'll be with you. I called them the Friday. I called them Friday. I said, talk to me about the spiritual guides that you had when you first got saved. My dad goes, I was just writing that down. I was just writing that down. I go, really? Tell me about that. Ed Moore, he said, Ed Moore. Who is Ed Moore? He's me. He had a new car. He drove me back home to Newark. And on the way, he told me, he said, you know, you, you tell these stories about these things that you've done. You need to go to these people and you need to make that right, Kenny. On the way home, he taught him he needed to make right the wrongs that he had done, ask forgiveness and such. And Ed Morris, go with you to your church that you grew up in. Dad grew up in a church that didn't really preach the gospel. It's completely, completely off the rails today, completely off the rails. An apostate church altogether. So Ed Moore takes my dad to this church. They go to my dad's grow, church where he grew up. He goes to Sunday school class. He listens, and very respectfully, at the end of the Sunday school class, Ed Moore says to the teacher, Sir, would you mind if I ask the class a question today? And politely, the, the teacher said, Sure, go ahead. And he said, How many of you are certain that you are right with God and that you're going to heaven when you die? And nobody in the class could give testimony that they were certain that they were right with God. And the teacher couldn't. And they got in the car and they drove away. And Ed said to my dad, you need to find a different church. You need to change spiritual guides. So the next week, my dad went to a church. He identified it as, um, I'm going to be really careful. It put them off a little bit because it was, it was a little bit more demonstrative than they were used So that night, they called around, and they found, they, they called a church where, where the Boy Scout 
Church met in the neighborhood, the, the Pine Street Christian Union Church in the neighborhood there in Newark, Ohio, where my dad grew up. And the pastor was a Moody graduate named H.E. Doyle, Harold Doyle. And my dad started to ask him questions about the Bible, and Pastor Doyle had good Bible answers. The Bible says this, the Bible says that, the Bible says this, the Bible says that. They went there that night for church, and my dad said when we walked in there, we knew we were where we belonged. Not long after that, my grandma and grandpa were baptized out in Hudson Lake by Denison. My dad got baptized, he got saved, got baptized, started to follow the Lord. He had a good leader to guide him away from death and into life. Confidence of eternal life. My mom, I said, how about you, mom? Mom says, the Calvary Bible Church in Dwajak, Michigan. Just a little girl, Mrs. Rice, lived upstairs. She prayed for us. When Mrs. Rice died, Pastor Robbins preached her funeral. We went to the funeral. My mom started talking to Pastor Robbins. Mrs. Robbins came over, put a scarf around her face, and cleaned our toilet when we moved into a new place. It was making my mom sick. Mrs. Robbins came over and cleaned our toilet. They taught us, I, we went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Bible school. My mom said, I hiked from the high school, I went into town, all the way to the other end of the town, I did services. I'm to you in a simple way. Thank you for making Bethel the kind of church where when you walk by any room here, somebody has the Bible open and they're giving people Bible answers from God's word about how they can know they're right with God and how they can live for God. Of all the times now we need churches like this, many of them, we can't have too many. We have choices to make, you have choices to make, and may God stir you, each of you, all the days of your life, to choose the right God, to choose the right destination, to choose the right way, to choose the right companions, and to choose the right leaders. Would you stand?